Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's a very warm day in LA. The temperature, I think it's around like high 70s. We had this change, like sudden change in our temperature here. I'm very excited because it's around our new year. I'm Iranian and within a few days, we're celebrating uh, Persian New Year, which is a very, very special time for all the Persians around the globe. It's like 13 days that we celebrate with lots of festivities, food. Uh, I have lots of guests coming from out of town. My sister is coming from San Francisco. And I'm super excited about all the great things that's coming. We just did the cleaning around the house which is something very, unfortunately, not as common. It's very unusual for me to see uh, what's going on my desk. So today I'm sitting in this very, very clean space. Since this is a very special time of the year, I wanted to take the time to dedicate this episode to talk about some of the sexual uh, myth that we all heard about it in the past and it's impacting our sexuality. You know, every day I feel in my private practice, I do lots of sexual education and I hear from highly educated individuals about the myth that's profoundly impacting their sexual experiences, which is obviously not true. That's why I wanted to talk about four myths that I see very common in my practice that impacts my clients' life and well-being. 
initially, I wanted to do 13 math because, again, Persian community, we celebrate 13 days of New Year's. Uh, I was talking about it. I was practicing for this episode. And my husband looked at me and said, are you kidding me? This is going to be like four hours of recording. That's why I went through them and I chose uh, four of them that I hear very often in my practice. Hopefully in future, I'll, I'll talk about the rest of them. I'll bring the other guests to talk about, an expert to talk about this topic. But for now, I'm just going to focus on the four myths that I hear, unfortunately, very common among my clients. Myth number one, penis size dictates a woman's sexual pleasure. So the bigger is the size of the penis, the more pleasure a woman would experience. I bet you all heard about it very often. I think somehow, somewhere in my closet, I have a shirt saying that, and which is so not true. I, I clearly remember that many uh, moon ago, a while back in my private practice, I had a couple who came in one of the complaints that they had was that the wife was saying that my husband has a micro penis. She made re remarks about her husband's penis and it impacted the relationship. And I did what I usually do. I provided them with psychoeducation about what are the penis size, what's the range, what is normal, what is not. And the more I was talking about it, I, it just didn't go anywhere. And then part of me, I got a kind of like, doubtful thinking, okay, maybe, maybe there is an issue. So I called uh, the urologist with the consent of the couple and the urologist was furious. He said, this is ridiculous. This is not the case. So that's why I think it's very important to talk about it. Um, so I kind of did some research about what is normal. So average penis size when erected, it's around 13 centimeters. So usual length is between nine to 16 centimeters. I know I grew up with centimeters. Most people here, they use inches. So that's why I'll look at that one as well. So the uh, most of the studies, and again, there are different uh, studies looking into this subject. The average size based on the most of the studies is like 4.7 to 5.1 inches. So the idea that we got in the popular media that the average penis size is seven inches seems very wrong. So then again, most people that they complain about the size of their penis based on my experience in my private practice, after I give them information about it, it that is not an issue. The micropenis, which is a, has a very specific clinical term, is a penis that is shorter than 7.5 centimeters when erected or 4 centimeters when it's less than 4 centimeters when it's not. Again, it's not an issue for many people, but unfortunately, many of the clients that I have, they experience some kind of shame, anxiety around the size of their penis because of this myth. And we know since 1960s and 70s that uh, one of the famous sex researchers, uh, their team, Master and Johnson, that you probably know them, they concluded that size of the male penis 
can have no true physiological effect on female sexual satisfaction. The reason is that a vagin- uh, vagina uh, is a potential space. It's not an actual space. So it can, uh, the, it's a muscle that can get adapted to any size penis. Any size penis will fit and provide, will provide adequate sexual stimulation to female. So again, there is no physiological data supporting that the bigger the size of the penis, the better the, like the more sexual satisfaction a woman gets physiologically. And again, it's very unfortunate that me, and I often talk about with my colleague, that some of the male that they're coming to my practice, they feel so insecure that they're thinking about taking pills. They are thinking about stretching devices, vacuum pumps, doing some kind of the penis enlargement, which is so unnecessary, almost all of those cases. What is important though, based on the research, is the perceived size. So there was a study done in 2014, which says perceived size really does matter. That's a title. It was uh, published on the Psychology of Men and Masculinity Journal. And it talked about that they studied 110 heterosexual individuals and they talked about the relationship between their perceived image that they have from their, the size of their penis and their uh, sexual functioning. So they found that many of the men in their studies, the size of their penis was, it was within the normal range, but they experienced significant dissatisfaction with penile size and also the dissatisfaction was they also were kind of struggling with um, kind of seeking medical advice or in their sexual relationships because of their insecurities. Again, this is not people who were not like had a micro penis or anything. These are people who were within average size, but they were thinking that their penis is not uh, large enough. So that impacted how often they were seeing the physicians, how they were functioning sexually. So unfortunately, so the size is not necessarily important. What part is unfortunate that people with the smaller penises sometimes struggle with sexual confidence. And that sexual confidence is the main reason that they might suffer sexually. So another thing that I looked into was how women perceive it. How important it was for women to be with a partner that was like considered in a large range. So there was a study that was published in the European Urology a journal in 2002, and they found that only 1% of women considered it very important. So again, this is not a huge number. So in the most of the cases, what matters is how confident you're feeling about your genital, your uh, body shape. And unfortunately, based on my experiences, like any other uh, struggles around self-image, Oftentimes, it's more internal. So if you're using uh, lotions, uh, pills, and even if you're able to do some surgeries for enlargement, unless you address it internally, the struggle going to be there. So second thing I'm going to talk about is one of my, one of the most frustrating myths that's out there. 
it talks about how masturbation has destructive consequences psychologically and mentally. I see it again a lot in my uh, clients, with my clients in my private practice. Again, many of my clients that they work with, I'm working with a very diverse population, and many of them grew up in a very conservative community. So one of the clients I had, for example, this was this like a highly, highly educated male, and we were working on the, um, the struggle he had around arousal. And I was talking, kind of checking in, in with him about like masturbation, his fantasies. And he told me, you know, uh, stop masturbating when I was like, after first time I've done it, because of the, my mother told me about all the negative psychological and physical consequences of masturbation. And he kind of internalized a lot of shame around masturbation. And this is very frustrating. I know that maybe many of you guys have heard it in the past as well. And he was kind of told me, can you guarantee that nothing bad going to happen if I masturbate? Which again, I've done... I read a lot of studies and I kind of assured him, but it's very frustrating to see that this kind of wrong information, how it impacts individuals' well-being. So I was curious to see uh, how often it is for people to masturbate because there are lots of taboo and stigma around that. So one of the studies that was done on uh, Indiana University's Kinsey Institute, they uh, did a study on more than 5,000 Americans. The age range was between 14 to 94. And uh, they found that 60 to 94% of men reported they have masturbated at least once. And 40 to 60% have done it in the past month. The, with younger folks doing it more often which I can understand because of the, not necessarily because older adults, they don't necessarily have sexual urges, but I feel with the younger population, the stigma is slightly less. And they found that among women, 43 to 85% have masturbated with 20 to 43% having, having enjoyed it in the past month. So again, many people are doing it. Obviously, there is a little bit more of, uh, Kind of the number kind of represented more men, which I can think about. Maybe it's because they're more comfortable accepting it, socially more acceptable, or it could be because of the gender differences. And I absolutely, if you don't want to masturbate, uh, it's definitely up to you. But I can guarantee you, I'm going to talk about different research that shows that uh, there's no negative psychological, uh, physiological consequences of masturbation. If anything, I found several studies talking about how it impacts one's self-esteem. There was a study that was done in 2002, was published in Journal of Psychology and Human Sexuality, and they talked about how uh, masturbation helps people to learn about their own sexual response and pleasure and increase their sense of autonomy and bodily integrity and improve their self-esteem. And again, this is unfortunately, the stigma is very strong. I was talking about women's sexual pleasure in a TV station, one of the programs. And one of the things that I always, I always talk about when it comes to women's uh, kind of 
increasing one of the recommendations I always have their uh, sexual pleasure is just to kind of encourage them to explore their bodies. And the more I was talking about it, and I, talk, I kind of recommend that if they're comfortable, they can kind of explore it with masturbation. And I've noticed that the entire crew, I think it was like crew of 10 people and the person, the host and everyone were like silent. So I felt kind of a little bit of a shame feeling, okay, maybe I should have not said it, but it's true. And I feel even right now we experience lots of shame and uh, taboo around it. And again, uh, it shows that like, and one of the belief that I have is in order for you to be able to love your partner, enjoy sex, it's important to love yourself as well. So I did a little bit of uh, research on where this negative stigma is coming from. Because I remember growing up, people were talking about like, if you masturbate a lot, you might go blind and just those ridiculous things. Apparently, there was this surgeon at the beginning of 17th century in London that he was kind of motivated by financial gain and he came up with this ridiculous idea about how uh, masturbation negatively impacts individual health, physiological and psychological health, and which was followed, uh, the idea, uh, kind of like the, after that, it was a, another surgeon, uh, Tissot, that he talked about that masturbation was dangerous because of the physical and mental re- uh, requirement that because of the reabsorption of retained semen. It was the loss of semen that was the root cause of the physical and mental problems caused by masturbation. And again, I looked into it. There was no study done on it. It was kind of more like his opinion. And at the beginning of the kind of a 20th century, uh, scholars like Ellis and Freud questions his legacy. And they could like, again, there was a number of the study that kind of showed that masturbation was basically a harmless pursuit. And if anything, there are a number of benefits to it. Related to masturbation, one other thing that I often hear from couples in my private practice is that people get kind of frustrated, some people, about when they discover that their partner continue to masturbate while they are in a, like a committed relationship. So they kind of sometimes a partner translates it as a way uh, that like, you know, maybe he or she's not into me while he keeps masturbating. So it is it is very, very common. So I'm going to tell you about how common it is in a, in a second. But it is a it is a way for many people to distress when their partner is like not like tired. They want to kind of like distress quickly. And one of the studies showed that 85% of men and 45% of women in a steady relationship, they said that they were masturbating. Again, it's very common. It's not kind of indicating that something is wrong with your relationship. And also some people kind of worried about if they start masturbating, it might turn to like a compulsive behavior. And I know we, ha- we had an episode about sexual addiction, sexual compulsivity, and we know it has nothing to do with what kind of behavior you do. It's more about the relationship you develop with sexuality. 
For example, if you're turned to sexual addiction and you, you develop a compulsivity while you're engaging with partner, the translation is not that, okay, so sexual relationship with a partner is wrong. So we cannot kind of conclude the same thing about masturbation. It's more about when people who are struggling with sexual addiction that they're kind of tuning out, they're checking out, and they use the sexual behavior as an escape. So it's not necessarily, there's no studies proving that masturbation can lead to sexual compulsivity. But I know that's a belief that many people have. So we are at myth number three. Somehow people think they got the idea that men are obsessed with sex and women don't think about it. It's just ridiculous. That is not true. I see many women that are more sexual, that their partners, there are lots of um, differences and variety in between each gender. And many of you probably heard about that men think about sex every seven seconds, which is, I couldn't find any data supporting that. And one of the negative kind of issues associated with the kind of the belief such as that men are like normal men are thinking about sex every second second is that when people are not meeting those kind of they're not meeting those moles they feel that there's something wrong with it I had one of my clients was talking kind of she was suspicious that her partner was uh, was homosexual who wasn't into her so it was she had questions about the um, sexual orientation of the partner because he was not as sexual which is ridiculous the uh, one of the study that was done and um, published in journal of sex research in 2000 12 it showed that they so they studied uh 200 individuals they found that uh male reported on average 19 times during the day thinking about sex and female around 10 times so again it's not seven seconds it's not that much different And the conclusion they had that males reported significantly more need-based cognition overall, but there was no significant interaction between sex of participant and type of cognition recorded. So again, just slightly different, could be loss of thing related to societal messages, but certainly not seven seconds. (sighs) Lastly, what I want to talk about is a myth about the fact that vaginal sex is the best way for women to reach orgasm. It is just very frustrating. And another frustrating fact, unfortunately, as many of you know, anatomy and physiology of female orgasm has been often neglected. Many of the things people kind of know about female sexuality is what they learn about male sexuality and is male sexuality light which is not accurate. So um, we know that around 100 years ago, Freud invented the term vaginal orgasm. And again, he didn't have any scientific basis for that. And that's how many people adapted the idea that if you're not experiencing vaginal orgasm, there's something wrong with it. According to the Mayo Clinic, they found that Most women cannot reach orgasm 
through vaginal penetration alone. So majority of women, they need clitoral stimulation, oral stimulation, they need other kind of a stimulation to reach orgasm. Again, there's nothing wrong with needing other kind of a stimulation, just that the fact that you need to have to get only experience orgasm through vaginal penetration is simply inaccurate. I know that I had a couple came into my practice and the husband was kind of feeling inadequate that why he cannot bring his wife to pleasure but only by vaginal stimulation. And the wife was frustrated and just this is not again, that's not a reality for many people. There was a there was this excellent study that was published on clinical anatomy in uh, what was the year 2013, and they found that again orgasm mostly happens with clitoral uh, stimulation, and it's very important, as I said, for individuals to be able to gather good, accurate information about female sexuality because that again many of the information we have is not accurate and again there's nothing wrong with experiencing orgasm to simulation of clitoris again it's very different for men and women because for men the physical stimulation can reach them to orgasm but for women orgasm orgasm intercourse are highly variable and under little selective pressure as they are not, again, reproductively necessarily. So again, you can reach orgasm through uh, nipple stimulation, oral stimulation, anal stimulation, and they're all good and healthy. Okay, so I noticed I reached to, uh, reached the end of my time here. I want to thank you guys for listening. I, it really means a lot to me that you're tuning in. I would love, love to hear from you about the topics that you want to learn more about it. If you like to let me know about those topics, email me at drmoali at sexologypodcast.com. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.